This podcast is hosted by RPP. The following episode contains coarse language, violent themes, sexual references, and the really creepy stuff. If you're underage, turn off your device. Normal people, Esther, don't just go straight to demonic infestation like we do. Because the government was also freaked out about the movies. They might be dealing with a demonic possession. Meanwhile, as she's on top of him squeezing his throat, she's screaming, who sent you here? And they started to move towards her really fast. What are these? Australian aliens. Cool, welcome back. <laughs> I know this is weird for you because you've never been here before, but but the others, welcome back to them. <laughs> uh, it's, I think my fridge is haunted, a very creepy podcast for very creepy people. I am Gemma, Esther is out today, but I am joined by Emily from the Barn Cats Project. Hello. Hello. Uh, so some people, if they follow me on Instagram, they might know that I post a lot about cats. <laughs> uh, and it's because I'm a foster carer for the Barn Cats Project. Yes. And I started doing that last year around, I think it was August? Yeah, yeah August. Tell me a little bit about the Barn Cats Project. When was it created and what is it? So the Barn Cats Project is a foster care network based in the southeastern suburbs of Melbourne and I started us in around January of last year Um, and what we basically do is we work with, as you would know, um, cats who haven't really got... um, experience with humans Mm. and so you know those more unsocialized ones like what Monica and Chandler came in Mm -hmm. um, as and and ones that usually wouldn't be given a second uh, chance in you know pounds and and shelters so I mean it's incredibly rewarding as you know and Mm. um, yeah I mean it's a big thing for us is education and you know um, providing the community with resources that they can understand this issue and and you know um share it with friends and family so that everybody is more aware of the, the, the issues that we face and um, we've got a particular focus on um, wildlife as well. When you say wildlife, yes. like... Like, um, like you know, how uh, the, the impact that um, feral and, and stray cats are having on the wildlife right. and, you know, um, how a lot of people tend to let their cats just sort of walk around outside during mm. the day and how that affects our native wildlife um, and, you know, the rates of... of um, native deaths by cats and and understanding what the issue is and how people can still provide the animals with that outdoor enrichment that they so seek that they that they need and that they seek but Mm -hmm. also um keeping the wildlife in mind and making sure that they're protected and that they're not at risk of injury or death yeah great i know that one of my cats is um she's definitely a hunter (laughs) yeah by nature i mean I don't really think all cats, like, I think they all have, like, a hunting instinct, but some of them are really good at it. Yes. So she's actually not allowed outside except in the cat run because um, there was uh, we just had so many accidents where she will get, like, a baby bird or a frog or whatever. And so she's just – it it really does upset her that she can't go outside. But she does have a pretty big cat run, so it's fine. Um. But, yeah, she's just such a good hunter. I mean, she's really precise. Yes. And, oh, my God, there's so many of them that are just, like, they're natural hunters. So, mm. you know, they, the risk that they pose to wildlife is 
is huge. Yeah. Yeah. It really yeah. Is, yeah. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times, like, they're not even hunting for food. They're no. just hunting to play. Yeah. Which I know that Miss Vanjie does. Um, yeah. <laughs> Hazel does it too. Right. Yeah. yeah. She would more than happily chase down a bird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of my, I've got this other cat, Tavra. She's just, she, she likes to hunt, but she's mm. very rarely successful. <laughs> like, I don't think she's ever caught anything successfully, <laughs> actually. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just honestly, in my opinion, it's best to keep them in mm. if you oh, if is. you can. Yes, it, and it definitely the is. way that I justify it is, it's better than being in a cell at the RSPCA. Yeah, and it's it's. Um, I mean, it's for their safety as well. Like the amount of. Um, you know, calls I get or, you know, messages I get or, um, you know, on those, like, Facebook community notice board pages about, like, deceased cats that have been hit by cars. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's for their safety as well. If you let them roam during the day, that's, that's it. It's not, um, it, you know, it's not ensured that they're going to come back at mm-hmm. the end of the day. So true. Yeah. So true. I know that we've talked on the pod before about um, my superpower, which is finding dead cats. Oh, no. It is actually um, a skill that, that I have. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I do it, but it, it's it's just a thing that I have. Really? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, why don't we get into our story? Oh, do you have a fact from the freezer? I do have a fact from the freezer. Facts from the freezer. Facts from the freezer. So, my fact from the freezer is that it's kind of cool. Cats have a scent organ in the roof of their mouth, and I'm going to botch this, but it's called the veraminasal or Jacobson's organ that allows them to taste scents in the air. Mm. So, like, you know when your cat is sort of, like, staring at you with their mouth, like, just hanging open? Yes. So what they're doing is they're actually, like, tasting the smells in the air. Chandler does that. Oh, my God, really? Yeah. It's so bizarre. But sometimes, like, I'll turn and Hazel is just, like, staring at me with her mouth open. I'm like, what are you doing? But that's what they're doing. Right. I've always, like... Why have you got your mouth open? Like, what's going? <laughs> are, you, are you okay? I know. I'm like, are you, are you, is everything okay? Is something going wrong? Like, are you panting? But no, they're just tasting the smells. Random. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> um, my one. Um, I absolutely did not know this. Approximately two hundred feral cats roam the grounds of Disneyland. Uh, where they help control the amusement park's rodent population. Uh, they're all. Sp- Spayed or neutered, and park staffers provide them with medical care and extra food. That's awesome. Because if you think about it, you've got like thousands of people walking around the park with snacks. Yeah. And they're going to be dropping popcorn and bits yeah. of burger and all sorts of stuff. So they're probably going to attract a lot of mice and rats. Yeah. So sure. that's crazy to me. Yeah, that's and I, awesome. Yeah, I mean, it gives them a job to do, I guess. And I can't imagine there'd be too many native animals at Disneyland. No. <laughs> anyway, so we'll get into my story. My sources today are miscarriagesofjustice.com, Wikipedia, Courier Mail, netk.net.au, Forensic Investigators Documentary, ABC News, Crime Magazine, Supreme Court of Queensland Archives. Um, I tried to make today's a more tame. I mean, we talk about some really messed up stuff here. Yeah. Yeah. Chris is nodding. Yeah. <laughs> I have heard. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Sometimes like, we, we traumatize Chris with the stuff that we say, like, uh, the crazier, the better. But I was like, mm, I don't want to scare her off. <laughs> um, so I'm going with, um, a pretty run of the mill. Okay. Just a stabby, stabby case. Uh, 
<laughs> Chris <laughs> is <just> laughing. <laughs> <laughs> just, just a nice, tame, steady, steady. Yeah, just a regular old. <laughs> so, on the afternoon of Sunday the 1st of March, and we're going back to 1998... A woman named Rhoda Hall went to the weatherboard home of 54-year-old Kathleen Marshall in the Brisbane suburb of Wilston. But it wasn't just her home uh, where she lived with 22 cats and two dogs. It was also an animal surgery because Kathleen was a vet. So the previous evening, Kathleen was supposed to be going to an event with Rhoda and some other people as well, but she hadn't turned up. It was an event for single professionals and she herself had been the organiser of of the night. So it was pretty weird that she had not turned up. Um, Furthermore, she hadn't answered her phone since, so her friends were getting a little bit worried. So Rhoda goes over to her house and when she gets there, she finds that there are some other people there too, some other friends of Kathleen who are also worried. So Kathleen's friends are Glenda, Robert and Sandra. So they knock on the door and there's no response and they're becoming even more worried um, than they were before they got there because they think maybe she's inside and she's had a medical emergency or something like that. So they start banging on the door and calling out Kathleen's name. Um, they think she's had a stroke and that's why she hadn't turned up at the dinner. So the surgery was on the downstairs level of the house. Okay. Um, one of the friends was like, though at this point they're going around the house yeah. to see if they can look in windows and that type of thing. And one of the friends looking around the side of the house, Glenda, notices that there's a smell coming from the surgery and there's actually loads of flies as well. And she also sees that there's some blood on the door and on, like, the welcome mat, like, you know, where you sort of brush your feet. And she's quite alarmed. Um, There's even blood on the plants next to the door. Oh, my gosh. So Rhoda, uh, she was interviewed on Forensic Investigators, which is a true crime TV show. And she said, it was obviously the smell of something that was dead in the surgery. They looked through the window and they could see some blood on the window and also they could see the shape of an arm. And they're starting to think that maybe something quite bad has happened. And they, um, and keep in mind as well, like, it's Queensland in yeah. March. It's going to be really hot. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> so... The police arrive and they open the door and they find Kathleen lying on the floor of the surgery Mm. and her dress is covered in blood, her legs are covered in blood, there's a pool of blood around her as well and they also find, it's a very messy scene, they find blood in the sink and on the plastic bag next to the sink and then under the sink they find a bucket and it looks like someone has tried to clean up the the crime scene with like um uh you know sponges like dishwashing sponges and that sort of thing but it looks like they've sort of started but then they've like kind of given up and left it for whatever reason how bizarre Mm. yeah so the detective on the documentary said kathleen had a number of stab and incision marks and they went through her clothing uh they even went through her bra i read that she had 52 wounds in total 
However, a murder weapon was never found. They surmised that it was a crime of passion by someone who knew her and there was evidence that she had tried to put up a fight and defend herself. Um, In the newsreel, they showed the newsreel that was like on the TV, they described the attack as frenzied and it looked like there had been a fight that had gone on between these two people that had sort of gone all around the room. Oh, wow. But the stab marks are fairly shallow, meaning that the killer was not a particularly strong person. So they think it could be a woman that they're looking for. Oh, okay. And they know that there was a fight because there was a window that had been broken and they called it a lever window. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, you know those and they're frosted, those ones that you can kind of open and close them. So the window faced into the garage next door and the window had been broken and the glass had fallen into the garage next door, meaning that it had been broken from the surgery side. Mm. So then (laughs) there's a few kind of like weird things in this investigation that sort of throw the police into different directions. So (laughs) it's kind of weird as well. So... They said that a package containing some bloodstained shoes and clothing is posted and arrives at the nearby Northgate Post Office. They say in the early stages of the investigation, so just a few days after the body was found. Now, I don't really know how they knew what was in the package that had been posted in to them. Like, maybe there was blood on the package and they decided to open it. I don't really know exactly what happened. Um, They said that the package arrived at the post office and contained blood-soaked running shoes and some clothing. Um, They say it was posted in the hours before the body was located. So we're talking about sometime after death and before the discovery. They look around all the post boxes in the area and they find that one is bloodstained. They actually find a bloodstained post box and there's blood all around it on the ground. And they follow the blood and it goes to a nearby shop where the window is broken and then they follow the blood to a, a phone box and they find out who, what the phone call, like what the last phone call was made yeah. from that phone box and it turned out that it, it was uh, to emergency services and a ambulance had come to get a man that had a, um, a leg wound. So... They took him to hospital Mm. and the police were like, well, where's this guy? They said, well, he's still in hospital. So the police go over and question him. Yeah. But they did DNA testing against the blood that was found at Kathleen's crime scene and the blood that was at the post box. Mm. And it turned out he was a completely different guy and he was charged with breaking into the shop. And that was kind of it. Oh, <laughs> so really random. Yeah, really random. Anyway, so back at the surgery, investigators were busy collecting blood samples. Mm. They hoped to find blood not only from Kathleen, but hopefully from the killer as well. Because mm. if they've had a fight, yeah. you would think, and there's a pointy object involved, <laughs> you would think that... Um, there would be some sort of evidence somewhere. Yeah. So upstairs in her house, 
they find that it's an absolute mess. So furniture is turned over, her bed is unmade, there are boxes of, of books and videos, um, there's like dishes everywhere, food everywhere, and there's like cat uh, cages, like just on the floor, like with cats in them and stuff. Oh my God. So they actually at first think that the house has been ransacked, mm. but then they find out that's just normal for Kathleen and that's how she lives. <laughs> like, it, she was kind of a hoarder. Oh, my gosh. So they just were like, okay, it's it's just a messy house. I, we don't necessarily think that the killer has been up here. However, she's got this huge piano and there's some sheet music on the piano and the book is open, the sheet music book is open to a death march. Oh, my God. Oh What's up with that? That's freaky. Yeah. <laughs> That's really freaky. So they're like, has the killer done this on purpose or yeah. does she just play death marches to her cats? Random. Yeah, really random. So they remove all the animals from the house. So there was the two dogs she had. I saw a photo. There was one that was like a German Shepherd and mm. one that was like a more of a terrier. Mm. And then there's eight cats of her own that roam around the house. And then the rest of the cats, the rest of the 22 cats, they were all like in cages. So they weren't allowed to roam around the house. And I don't know if it's because there were fosters, there were strays, or maybe they were um, patients Mm. from her surgery. Yeah. But it was actually like a pretty bad setup, honestly. Like like they didn't have any litter. Like they were just in these little cages, like not much. They were bigger than a cat carrier. Yeah, but not Not much much bigger. bigger. Yeah. That's horrid. So they look through her diary and they look at her appointments for the day surrounding her death. On the the Thursday, uh, one of her friends, Mrs. Luciardi, remembers seeing a man walking towards the house. Uh, Mrs. Luciardi had actually been the 12.30 appointment. She'd gone with her husband with the dog. Mm. And then uh, they saw a man coming towards the house with a Siamese cat and she said to Kathleen, um, looks like you're one o'clock's here. Oh, okay. So according to the diary, the one o'clock is a client named John Wilson. Yep. So Mrs. Luciardi's husband, Victor, said... When they were leaving the appointment, he was reversing his minibus and he asked the guy, oh, you know, can you move please because i just got to reverse to get out. Yeah. And the man just ignores him and just sort of stands there holding the cat. So, like, that's really so he and his – Victor and his wife were like, mm, that's a bit weird. That is a bit weird. Okay. So it's stuck in their mind. Yeah. So just going back to the crime scene, police figured that Kathleen had been murdered – between Thursday night around 9pm and 3am on the Friday morning. Mm. And then she was found on the Sunday afternoon. So she's found okay, like okay. like two days, three yeah. days later. They start looking at who would want to hurt Kathleen and they think that maybe it has something to do with the Cat Protection Society of Queensland. Oh, okay. Which was known for having members that were not only cat-obsessed, but they would have, like, feuds between themselves. Oh, my goodness. So Kathleen was actually the president of the Cat Protection Society. Oh, really? Okay. Police knew that the society had received a lot of donations and even bequests from deceased estates. Mm -hmm. 
one of which was $350,000. That's a lot of money. Like people were literally leaving them yeah. their wills, like their estates. That's crazy. Um, And this is in the 90s as yeah. well. It's like, you know, <laughs> a crazy <laughs> amount of money. That is a lot of money. But police find that within the society there were disagreements about where the money should be going. They start looking at a woman they believe to be kind of Kathleen's arch nemesis. Right. And her name is Virginia Houston. Okay. Who was the former president and treasurer of the society. She was mad because she had been removed from the board recently uh, and the society was like her life's work. Oh, my God. Like, she'd been in it for years. Yeah. Um, she'd only met Kathleen two years earlier at a cafe, and at first they got along really well, mm. and Virginia was like, we totally need someone like you in the society, mm. you should join. Mm. But then Kathleen came in, and she sort of rose through the ranks, became president, and then she kind of got rid – she pushed Virginia out. Ouch. Yeah. That's – it's tough. That's really tough. It's like me, yeah. like, coming in and, like, saying, oh, we should have a vote. Who should be the new president? <laughs> me taking over Barn Cat's project yeah. and then kicking you kicking out. Kicking me out. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be pretty, pretty sad too. <laughs> so there starts to be this div- divide in the society where members were either Team Kathleen or Team Virginia. So it's kind of like you've got to pick a side. Yeah, that creates a lot of tension. Yeah. So six weeks before Kathleen's death, their fight had come to a head when Virginia had turned up at Kathleen's house and they'd actually had a bit of a sort of a physical, like, pushy, pushy, yeah. like, on the porch. Okay. <laughs> and Kathleen had asked her to leave And Virginia said, no, I've got a right to be here because this is the registered headquarters of the society. Uh. So Kathleen calls the police and says, there's this crazy lady in my house, you need to come get her. So because of this incident only, you know, the previous month, Mm. people are starting to look at who would want to hurt Kathleen. Yeah. So Rhoda, Kathleen's friend that originally went up to the house, mm. and the others, they're thinking it's Virginia. Yeah. Yeah. And they are all at the house with the police just after the body is found. Yes. When they see Virginia drive past the house and look at what's going on. And Glenda says to the police officer, the murderer's just driven past. Now, remember, they, they they said that the stab marks were kind of shallow and they think yeah. it might be a woman. So it's all yeah, pointing it's towards Virginia. Everything's, yeah. Yeah. So Virginia has a motive, mm. but she says on the news she's completely innocent and she's mm. happy to talk to the police. She's got nothing to hide. She said, I'll give you my fingerprints. You can go through my bags, whatever. And she says straight to the police, she says... I, I don't like Kathleen's behaviour um, and, yes, we've had issues, but she said, I'm not a violent person. Right. She said that she was in disbelief when they asked her straight out if she had killed Kathleen Marshall. Mm. And she said, 
that she's never had so much as a parking fine and she was just – she couldn't believe that they were asking her this. Right. They searched her house and car and she freely offered her fingerprints okay. and there was no forensic evidence to say that she was involved. Okay. So they start looking at the other members of the Cat Protection Society and they find out that a lot of the members are into spiritualism. Oh, So, like, there's this kind of parallel interest between the Cat Protection Society and the Spiritualist Church and tarot reading and, uh, like, doing seances and that type of thing. Yeah, okay. So they want to talk to one of these people. His name is um, Patrick Hanrahan because Virginia says she had been with him on the Thursday of the murder. Mm. But Patrick insists that before he speaks to police, he must read their tarot cards, which they've got no choice because they need to speak to him, so they're like, fine. Mm. So they go ahead and do the reading and then he talks to them and he said that Virginia had been with him during the afternoon doing a tarot reading and then Virginia had dropped him off at the doctor's at about 4pm. So later... Virginia went on to spend the evening with another lady who was in the society and her name was Corinne Welsh. Um, And they were preparing a mail-out, like stuffing envelopes and stuff for the society between 5 p.m. and 11 p.m. But later, Corinne actually changes her story and she says to police, well, actually, Virginia wasn't with me the entire time. She did actually pop out. Oh, okay. Um, But it doesn't matter. Because they get a call from forensics and forensics say that the blood collected at the scene did in fact come from two people, Kathleen and her killer, who was male. Oh my gosh. Right? Wow. What a twist. Twist. Yeah. Twists and turns. So remember the broken window that had the shattered glass that went into the garage? Yeah, yeah. Um, That was where they found the blood. That belonged to the man. So I'm guessing that maybe his hand went through or his elbow elbow or something something like that has gone through the glass and it's just captured a couple of drops of blood. So police decided to take blood samples from all men associated with the Cat Protection Society Mm -hmm. and also neighbours and Kathleen's circle of friends and they start DNA testing for a match. Mm. They took samples from 42 men in total. One of these men was a guy from the Fortitude Valley and he was an ex-boyfriend of Virginia Houston. So they're casting their net pretty wide, uh, like even looking at like people surrounding Virginia as well. Yeah, I see. One thing that the men um, had to do before they gave a DNA sample of blood mm. was they had to sign a paper that said that they were aware they were a suspect in an investigation Now, this guy, Virginia's ex-boyfriend, he didn't want to give a sample and he said, I won't sign. Right. So as he's walking down the street, I think they were kind of scoping him out, you know, Mm. from a car. Yeah, yeah. And he spits on the ground. So they go over and they take a sample of that. Yep, yep. So he was staying at a boarding house and the next morning the boarding house calls the police and tells them, oh, you know that guy that you were talking to yesterday? He's actually just packed his bags and he's left in a taxi. Okay. So 
I'm not sure if he was at the boarding house because he'd just been in prison or maybe yeah. he'd have been in rehab and it was, I don't know if it was a halfway house or something like that. Yep. Yep. Uh, it didn't go into that sort of detail. Mm. But what they do know is that he gets in the cab and he goes to the train station and he purchases a, a ticket mm. to Sydney under a fake name. That is suspicious. There's so many people like in this case, like – with dodgy things to hide. Yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> So police catch up with him and he quickly says, fine, I'll give you a blood sample. Yeah. But, you know, whatever, I've got shit to do in Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> and he's adamant that he's not involved in this. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, his DNA comes back as not matching the blood at the crime scene and yeah. there's no evidence on his belongings. So that's another false alarm. Yeah. Still weird though. Still weird. I still do want to know why, what he was doing in Sydney under a fake name. Yeah. Like. We will never know. Yeah. It's just super bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> so tarot guy Patrick comes back yep. negative as well. Okay. Um, but he – so he was the guy that said, I'll only speak to the police if I do the tarot first. Right. But he's like, well, you may want to look at this other tarot reader that I know called Andrew Fitzherbert. Oh. Uh, so he works at the Spiritualist Church and he also runs a coffee shop. Okay. And his girlfriend is called Ruth Bennett and she is like um, – She's like a reverend at the Spiritualist Church Mm -hmm. and she's also in the Cat Protection Society. And she's actually Team Virginia. Ah. So the web expands. (laughs) It's all very intertwined. It is. So Andrew Fitzherbert is added to the list of men that they need to test. Meanwhile, John Wilson is missing. Remember the one o'clock appointment with the Siamese cat? Yes, the weird, the, the I won't move. The I won't yeah. move? Random. Random. And they can't find him to test his DNA, but they need him because he was, he could have been the last person to see her yeah. alive. Yeah. So they actually put out a press release to find him and they ask him, please come forward. We mm. need to speak to you. It's really important. Yeah. Um, so on the 12th of June... So this is just over two months after the murder. Yeah. There's an article in the Courier Mail about the case and it mentions Ruth Bennett, the reverend from the Spiritualist Church, who's yeah. Andrew Fitzherbert's girlfriend. Yeah. And she's talking about their psychic team has been looking for evidence in the case. Right. Um, and they're using psychometry, which is they'd got a – psychometry is when you get um, uh, a – like a necklace from the person or a photo of a person and a psychic can like touch the item and they can read uh, things that have happened to the person through that. Um, And they are using other forms of spiritualism to find the truth as well. And she thinks the motive for the murder was based around money. Oh, okay. She also said, I asked the police whether she had been stabbed under the upper shoulder because I experienced a sense of pain there. Uh She said, I told them I believe they were on the right track, widening their investigations to include the singles group that Kathleen was interested in. So remember, she was supposed to go to the dinner or the event the night before with her singles group. Yeah. 
Well, reading past the article, you look at the photo of Ruth. Yeah. And she's holding a Siamese cat, which apparently belongs to her and her partner, Andrew Fitzherbert. In fact, they've got two Siamese cats. Right. So, is John Wilson Andrew Fitzherbert? Yeah. (gasps) Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) (laughs) So, the police put together a photo board of men Mm. and included in the board is a passport photo of Andrew Fitzherbert. Yeah. They show the board to the Luchardis, Mr. and Mrs. Luchardi, who had been the 1230 appointment um, and who were trying to get their van out. Mm. Um, they picked uh, a picture down on the left-hand side corner of the board and it's Andrew Fitzherbert. But they said, the only difference is this guy in the photo is smiling, but the guy that we saw was not smiling. Oh. Mm. So they start focusing on Andrew Fitzherbert Mm. and he denies ever going to Kathleen's house or having any kind of relationship with her. He actually says, I don't even know where she lives. Right. Um, but he says, oh, I know Virginia Houston fairly well, um, who's, you know, Team Virginia. Yeah. Um, and they prove that calls had come from his house to Kathleen's residence, probably to set up the fake vet appointment. They try to convince him repeatedly to give his DNA, but Ruth and Andrew are very argumentative. Right. And he flat out refuses to give them anything. There's actually a lot of recordings of their okay. phone calls and interviews. Um, and even when they go to their house, there's you can hear. Yeah. And they're actually super rude. Really? Yeah. Like they're really abrasive. Yeah. Yeah. So when they bring him in to interview him at the police station, yeah. he's there for six hours he doesn't drink anything. He doesn't go to the toilet because he, he knows that anything that he does, they're going to try to take a sample of the DNA. Yeah. So he just sits there for six hours. He doesn't move and then he leaves. So he, they've got nothing. Oh, my gosh. That's, yeah. Yeah. But so police are kind of like they're more onto him than ever now. Yeah. Because if you refuse DNA. Yeah. It, it's more suspicious. And then, like, if you're being super defiant about it too and making, like, a considerable effort to not leave yeah. the DNA, that's just yeah. setting yourself up, really. Right. But the weird thing is he's actually quite an unassuming guy. Um, right. It's weird because, like, the recordings that I heard, Ruth was, like, kind of quite bogan, actually. Like, yeah. she was a bit sort of screechy. Yeah. And he was actually quite well-spoken and almost like a little bit of a posh accent. Oh, really? Like, he's very much like, um, you know, no, I will not give you anything and then I would ask you to leave and things like that. He's like, it's almost a little bit posh. Yeah, okay. Um, But if he's not the kind of guy that you would look at and think that's a murderer... Mm. I guess that also kind of explains the shallow stab wounds as well. Yeah. Because he was yes. stabbing her politely. <laughs> the polite stabber. 
horrible. So the police get a warrant to search Andrew and Ruth's home. Yeah. And there's a recording of that as well. And he's adamant that he doesn't want them to come in. They're like, well, we've got a warrant. Like, yeah. we're coming in. <laughs> Whatever. Um, Ruth is super rude, screaming at the police, claiming that they're being harassed, all that kind of stuff. But the police go in and they take items to collect his DNA. So mm-hmm. they, they take... A hanky from his trousers pocket, yep. a coffee cup, his toothbrush and his bed sheets. Okay. Uh, and they took a couple of other things as well. But they've got his DNA mm. from this. And it's a match. <gasps> so they charge him with murder. But at the trial the following year, he pleads not guilty. His DNA proved beyond a doubt that he was the killer at the scene of Kathleen Marshall's murder. Yeah. And the news item actually said that it was going to be only one person in 14 times 10 to the power of 15 could match. So, like, there's actually not a word for the yeah. a number that big. So, like, Jesus. he's the guy. He is the guy. Yeah. yeah. Damn. Um, the jury took only three and a half hours to decide that Andrew Fitzherbert was guilty. And that's pretty quick. That's really quick. So, however, it's hard to pinpoint a motive for the murder. And to this day, we still don't get the motive. Yeah. Some people think that he had taken his Siamese cat, Zilla, to see Kathleen. The cat was actually pregnant. And uh, he actually says that since that weekend, Zilla had been missing. Right. Um, So, I don't know if it's because... I mean, the Luchardis saw him carrying the cat. Yeah. Like, he didn't have a cat carrier or anything like that. Yeah. Um, maybe the cat ran away and he blamed Kathleen. It's That's, so weird. Yeah, because it's not like – it's not, I don't know, something so grand that you would think would be a motive. You know what I mean? And, but why did he choose a, a fake name? Why did he go there yeah. under John Wilson? There has to be something, like, existing before that if he went there with a fake name. Like, something's happened. It's weird. It's so weird. And, you know, his girlfriend is Ruth. Yeah. Ruth is friends with Virginia. She's team Virginia. Yeah. Why is he even going to Kathleen? He, all the women around him hate her. Yeah. Why is he even – There must. there's a million vets you can go to. That's – it's so weird. It's so weird. It's so weird. So he has never owned up to any part in the murder and according to Miscarriages of Justice, yep. Fitzherbert has now served 15 years in prison. He was a model prisoner. Despite the fact that Fitzherbert still maintains his innocence of the murder of Kathleen Marshall, he expects to be released on parole in the not-too-distant future. His legal team is presently endeavouring to show that the entomologist made a mistake in calculating the most likely time of death of Thursday night or Friday morning. They believe if they can show this, it may be possible to get his case back into court. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to say that the entomologist made the wrong estimate on because there was a lot of uh, insect activity activity on the body. 
So a lot of times with murders, they can calculate by how many generations of insects there are, how many days that the body's been there. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to prove that she died on the Friday night um, because he's got a really good alibi. He was at a seance. Uh. (laughs) And they... This website is kind of weird. It Mm. makes these outrageous claims. Right. And I don't know where they got this information. But they say Kathleen was cited on several occasions by up to six witnesses, both on the morning of Friday 27th of February as well as in the afternoon. Random. Very. The last reliable sighting was a a neighbour, Warren Smith, at 4.45pm. If the evidence of these witnesses is accepted, it seems that Kathleen Marshall was killed some between, sometime between 4.45pm and about 7pm on Friday 27th of February, not Thursday night. Right. When you add this to apparently a single scream was heard at 6pm by a total of three people who had been standing just 50 metres from Marshall's house, you have strong evidence of her time of death. Andrew Fitzherbert had a very good alibi for this latter time period of Friday afternoon and evening since he was with friends at a meditation session and seance. In any case, Andrew Fitzherbert was released on parole in 2014. So he's out living life now. Right. He served 15 years. Uh-huh. Um, I also just wanted to say um, there is a true crime book that was written about this case in 2008 called Five Drops of Blood, Murder in the Cat Protection Society mm. by Paul Wilson and Diane McInnes, if anyone wants to read it and wants to know more about the case. But that is the murder of Kathleen Marshall. Goodness. There's <laughs> a lot of twists and turns in that one. Right? Yeah. It's crazy. But I don't think that there's any question. I mean... <sighs> Who are these people that allegedly saw Kathleen on the Friday? And yeah. um, why were they not included in the court case? That is really weird. Um, why did he go to the vet using a fake name? Why was his blood in the surgery? Yeah, exactly. Why was his blood in the surgery? Yeah. It's, it's, it doesn't look good for him. No. No. Not at all. Yeah. So anyway, mm. we have an event come up, coming up. Do you want to say it or do, you, do I want to say it? You can start off. Okay. So we are doing a true crime trivia night on 2nd of July at Burlesque Wonderground in Mentone to raise money for the Barn Cats Project. We are. I'm so very excited. So we're going to be talking about some true crime cases. Uh, we're going to be doing trivia so all you true crime buffs can come along and prove how much of a true crime buff you are. <laughs> and we're gonna have prizes and we're gonna have a silent auction and um yeah I'm really really excited about it because it's it's gonna be a bit different and um Mm -hmm. and also I love Burlesque Wonderground as well it's one of my favorite venues so beautiful yeah it's really cool I was there last week for our friend Onyx's birthday actually for her 40th so that was really really fun yeah and it's 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 a small venue so tickets will be limited yes I don't want to say too much about it, though, because I think yeah. by the time this goes out, we would have released all the information anyway, so yeah. it doesn't even matter. No. <laughs> <laughs> you can head to our website. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to be putting tickets up on the Barncats Project website, aren't yep, we? we are. So it's thebarncatsproject.org. Yeah. 
All right. Well, thank you so much for coming in. I really, really appreciate it. Is there any sort of cat-related messages you want to tell people? I mean... We always say neuter your pets. Yes. Oh, please do. Neuter your pets. And... Help out your rescues, you know. Yes. They're doing so much. There's so many of us and we need your help. We need, you know, volunteers, donations. And it doesn't have to be money donations either. Like pet food, pet food blankets. Anything and everything. Cat carriers. Yes, everything. And talk to your friends. Spread the message. Spread awareness. Yeah. your pets. <laughs> Neither your damn pets. That's Neither all we always pets. say. <laughs> it's just such a flipping problem i mean esther is just as much of a big cat fan as i am i mean she's she's got quite a lot of cats as well she's even got a big tattoo of of her of her cat oh that's awesome and yeah she's really excited about this event too so So, (laughs) yeah and as people know i've got two failed fosters from Barn cats. <laughs> oh, uh, and I've currently got a little foster as well called Maple, who's a freaking adorable. So cute. Do you know what? He's just like, he's the cuddliest cat I've ever. Really? I think he's the cuddliest cat I've ever held. Oh my God. He's just always got to be on you. He's just always got to be in your face. Dream cat. <laughs> but he's getting to that stage, he's just hungry all the time. Oh my God. Whereas well, kittens are, yeah, but he's thanks. just. You know, he, he finishes his food real quick and yeah. then he runs around to see who else is not finished yet. I know. And he, he'll, they'll, like, jump in and they'll eat your other cat's food. They'll yeah. eat themselves and, like, wait. It's insane. It's astounding to me how much he can eat. I, make, I can't believe it. Um, he makes up for it in the litter tray. Oh. It, that's 100% the truth. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I did not miss fostering my kittens. <laughs> I was changing that tray more times than I'd like to admit. Yeah, and kittens actually take a lot of cleaning and tidying so just a reminder to everybody so our our true crime trivia night is going to be on saturday july 2nd at burlesque wonderground in mentone here in melbourne it will be hosted by i think my fridge is haunted and we uh hope to see you there yeah all right so with that everyone we'll see you next week but in the meantime be creepy don't be a creep Woo! Yeah, I hope that wasn't too disturbing for no, you. No, it was kind of a light one, wasn't it, Chris? Yeah. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> that one thumb up. <laughs> <laughs>